0: Love is stronger.
1: all here as we join together for church. And as we begin our service this morning, we have an announcement from Pastor Lori. See you all this morning. There we go. Hello. I'm very excited to make an announcement this morning. Um, Some of you know that our children from Junior Church have been collecting coins for the past um, several weeks. Some of you have been accosted by a child or two on your way in or out of church. And today, I get to announce the grand total, and they heard it in the morning, the earlier service too, which um, most of the kids were at for the first time. They raised way more than our expectations. They raised $1,179, so that's a real celebration. And it's it's thanks to your generosity as a church. Um, there was a little email that came from Angie Schultz from headquarters at um, World Hope that said that our church... So far has been the third highest total of all of the churches that participated in the 5 and 2 program. So thank you so much. And also a very big thank you to everyone who helped um, either donate or participate in our packing party last Wednesday night. We were able to pack 69 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. And we'll get a grand total of all of the shoeboxes that were donated from our church and put that in the bulletin for you to see next next week. So the bookmarks in your bulletin are to remind you to pray for those children that will receive those boxes in the future. Also, I just wanted to give you a quick snapshot this morning of what happens on Wednesday nights during our kids' club. Each age group will cycle through craft time, game time, and Bible lesson time with an exciting rendition of their Bible verse set to a pop song masterminded by the very talented Sarah Gurley. So take a look at this short video and you can get a snapshot of what things are like here on Wednesday night. Thank you so much, and uh, it's just such a wonderful privilege to see how things are going on Wednesday nights and to be part of this very generous church family. If you have any questions or want to be involved, please contact me. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Let's stand now together as we sing God's praises together. Lord, you are
0: good and your mercy endureth forever. Your mercy endurement forever. People from every nation You are good. Lord, you are good at your mercy, endure it forever. Lord, you are good at your mercy, endure it forever. you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy
2: He comes free, and, and my shame, shame is up. Here, my heart is satisfied. Within Your presence, I see beneath
0: the shadow of Your wings. Better is one day in Your courts. Better. One day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. One thing I asked, and I will see.
2: the stillness I know that you are God. In the secret of your presence I know there I am restored.
3: Father, we want to give you thanks, praise, and glory today for who you are and what you do in our lives in this world. As we come to this place today, we recognize that we all come with a variety of joys and sorrows and struggles and burdens. We lay them at your feet, the pain of grief and the pain of our physical issues, our mental struggles, worries about the future, the financial burdens that we feel. We lay it all before you, knowing that you care, that you're at work, that you're doing more than we could dream or imagine. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church, the things you're doing here among us, and even now as many Sunday school classes are taking place. Thank you for the the learning and Things are happening then. Lord, we also pray for other churches. And today we pray for Christ Chapel and Silver Creek. Pastor Mike Lemon. May your blessing be upon this gathering of believers as they meet today and as they go about their lives throughout the week. And may they sense your presence and spirit with them. Father, we pray for our nation. We think today about um, foster children. And the whole foster care program and we want to thank you for the people who give of themselves to care for foster children. We pray, Father, that these will be wonderful experiences. That children will feel loved and cared for and know that through that that you love them and care for them. And we stand with those who are who are involved and committed to the foster care system. We pray, Father, for the people who are um dealing with the pain and the grief, injuries from the tragic events this week in Texas, the other the other places where there have been disasters and violence, and we ask for your healing grace upon each of them. As a nation, yesterday we remembered our veterans, and we thank you, Father, for the people who have made such great sacrifices for our freedom. We pray, Father, for those who continue to make sacrifices and to give of themselves so that we might be free. We pray, Father, that you will work miraculously in their lives protecting them and that what they do will bring about peace in this world. Father, we do pray for your church beyond us here, even beyond our area. We pray for the work of Native American ministries in South Dakota as they are preparing for uh, uh, big events for the Christmas season. May your grace and mercy be upon them, filling them, caring for them, helping them. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters, particularly those in, in Mexico, who over this past year, families of 23 Christian leaders who have given their lives for the faith, May you comfort them and and give them courage and strength and help in the midst of grief and pain and loss. We pray for refugees. We pray for places where there's not enough food or water in this world. Father, send your spirit, send your people to do more than we could dream or imagine. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in this place and around the world. We honor you. We serve you. We love you. Thank you for hearing our prayers, and we pray this through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.
4: The scripture reading is from the book of Haggai, Selected Verses. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. This people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, it is a time for you to dwell in your luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, consider what's happening to you. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you have uh, never have enough. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes. You look for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? because my house lies in ruins while you busy yourselves with your own therefore the heavens above and you therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce i have called for a drought upon the land upon what the ground brings forth upon men and cattle and upon all the, their labors then zerubbabel joshua and the remnant of the people feared before the lord haggai spoke To them with the Lord's message Go up to the hills and bring wood and build houses that I may take pleasure in it and appear in my glory. I am with you. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai Say to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people, Who among you saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? Yet take courage, work, for my spirit abides among you. In a little while, I will shake all nations so that their treasures will come in. The silver and gold is mine, and I will fill this house with greater splendor than the former. In this place, I will give prosperity. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the the word of the Lord came by Haggai. This is what the Lord says. Ask the priest to decide this question. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or wine or any kind of food, does the food become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, If someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? The priest answered, yes. Haggai said, So it is with the nation... Um, So it is with the nation before me, says the Lord. What the people offer is unclean. Consider now what will come to pass. Before a stone was placed upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. But since, that day, the, uh, since the day that foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the same day. Say to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am about to t- shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses will fall, and their riders will kill each other. On that day, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. Let
3: me just mention remind you a couple of things Insert in your bulletin today. Uh, If you're a college student, we would love to just make better connections with you. So there's kind of a... uh, tan color insert there. And uh, there's a box. You can drop it in the offering plate uh, later. We'll take the offering. Or there's a box in the lower foyer. You can just drop that in there. We just really want to try to connect more with you uh, as a part of as students who uh, come to this church. However much or little that you do that, we would like to make some connections with you. So you can take a minute and fill that out. Next Sunday also is our food pantry drive. We collect food all through the year, collect money all through the year for the food pantry. But at this time of year, the need rises significantly as we try to give uh, out more food to people during the holidays. So we try to make a collection. So if you have anything that you could bring canned goods, boxed goods, whatever the case may be, um, we can take those and we'll collect those next week. Also wanted to remind you, just one more week left in the prayer vigil. Uh, I've had a number of... uh, just great things happening through that time and I encourage you to, to uh, sign up for at least an hour coming up this week. There are some times open today as well as times throughout the rest of the week and it ends at 5 o'clock next Sunday. So we hope you have a chance to do that. Let's take just a minute, share a word of greeting with one another uh, as we continue worship. You probably um, are aware of this uh, sort of recent phenomenon of, of house remodeling shows. You know, there's like Fixer Upper and Flip or Flop, uh, There's Property Brothers. Uh, I like the shows about tiny houses because I like to see how they're going to get all that stuff into this little space and the creative ways that they do that. They're, they're really popular shows. And in fact, the people on the, some of these shows are even bigger than their show. Because when I go through the supermarket and, you know, you see the magazines lined up there that tell you everything you ever want to know about famous people's lives, um, some of their pictures are on those magazines and things about them. And, you know, it's a growing phenomenon. And there's something about having uh, having our houses be a place of security, a place uh, that we are, are proud of, that we like to be there. And so we have a tendency to invest ourselves in fixing up our houses, and and we invest ourselves in, in our time and energy in making our houses the kind of place that we want them to be. And that's a good thing. It's nice to have a house like that. It's nice to be in a place like that. What I find when I read Haggai's prophecy is that we are not the only ones who are concerned about our house. So is God. God's concerned about his house. The whole prophecy of Haggai is rooted in this opening conversation that God has with the people of Judah about what the kind of house they're living in versus what's happening with his house. Now, this prophecy takes place in the context of the people of Judah having been in exile for 70 years. They go in exile because of their sins, a rejection of God, and so they go to Babylon for 70 years. And now they've come back. And they come back, uh, they sort of trickle back some at a time. And through the process of the years of being back in Jerusalem, they rebuild the wall to, to around the city. They rebuild uh, their houses. They rebuild some of the places there. And they start rebuilding the temple that lies in ruins. But they sort of get worn down about rebuilding the temple. And they begin to spend more and more time rebuilding their houses rather than the temple. Until 15 years go by and they've really done nothing with the temple. And it's just at that point that Haggai comes onto the scene. And he says to them, I have a word from the Lord. How come you guys are living in luxurious homes and my house lies in ruins? And they say to God, well, we're going to get to it. We'll get to it. It's important to us. We'll do it. And God says, when? Well, someday. And you can almost hear God saying to them, I get it. I see how important I am to you. Based on how you treat my house. As God continues on, he says, look, I want you to stop a second and evaluate your lives. So how's it really going? And he describes the way their things about their life. He said, you know, you plant crops and you get a third of what you hope for. You, um, you bring in the grapes and you start, start making wine and you get a fourth of what you were thinking you were going to get. And, and you, you, you collect money, but it's like holes in your pocket. You wonder where it went. You eat, but you never get full. You drink, but you're never satisfied. All of life is coming up short of what you want and desire. And he says to them, the reason for that is because my house lies in ruins. Because there is a direct correlation between how you view my house and what you think about me. Now, God isn't necessarily punishing them and saying, fine, if you won't build my house, then I'm not giving you anything either. What he's really doing is trying to help them understand that if they won't go to the effort to work on his house and that that reflects their relationship with him, it would send the wrong message if he blessed them. Because they would think it doesn't matter what we do with God. It doesn't matter if we worship God or not. It doesn't matter if we invest ourselves in God's house or not. It doesn't make any difference because God will bless us no matter what. And he says, no, I won't. Now, for us, I don't know if the blessings are, I don't think they're typically going to be material blessings like they are describing. I'm not saying it's never that. But I think for us, it's more a sense of having inner peace. A sense of life having value and meaning and worth. And and feeling like we have this connection with God. And the removal of his blessing leaves us yearning. And wondering, and having and meager about God. I, I mentioned last week that we have a, a new puppy in our house. He's about four months old, and uh, I know he's adorable, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I think he takes after my side of the family. But uh, but we um, we 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 have this. Um, it's, he, we, this little puppy is in our house, and and we. Um, we are trying to train him right. We're trying to, to do the right thing for him. We're trying to, to help him learn what's right and what's wrong. And so well, we want to let him do everything. We want to let him run everywhere he wants to run. We let him, want to let him go everywhere he wants to go. And, but we can't because this little puppy likes to chew. He likes to chew on everything he can get his mouth on. Furniture, clothes, shoes, electrical cords, and, and we're trying to keep him from tearing up stuff and also from injuring himself. And so we have to gate off parts of the house. And we have to keep our eye on him. And we have, to, we have to be careful about how we reward him for his behavior. What we really want to do is just let him do whatever he wants, give him whatever he wants. And Cindy read a book, one of the books we read, that she said that puppies are hard to train because they're just so cute. And you just want to do whatever they want, Right? And, and we want to do that. We want to give him blessings, but we withhold those things because otherwise we will send him the wrong message. We will send him the message that, that it doesn't matter how he behaves, even to the place where he might hurt himself. And we're not trying to be mean to him. We're not trying to punish him. We're trying to do what's best for him. And I think God does that with us. I think God withholds blessings from us. He withholds the sense of of life that we want. Because it would send the wrong message. That doesn't matter how we treat God. It doesn't matter what we do. God will just bless us anyway. The question in my mind about this whole thing is, why is it so important for God's house to be rebuilt? What's the big deal about it? Can't they just worship in somebody else's house? Can't they just worship in the marketplace? Can't they just go anywhere and worship? They could, but God says, no, my house needs to be rebuilt. And the reason for that, the reason the temple needs to be rebuilt, is because it is the visible sign of God's desire to be close to his people. God sets up a tabernacle in the wilderness. God sets up the temple. For his people, because it is the visible sign that he wants to be close to them. And it's a place where his people come to learn how to be close to him and to learn just how much he wants to be close to them. And every time they look at the temple, they think to themselves, this is about the God who wants to be close to us. Because the gospel is always incarnational. The gospel is always relational. The gospel is always about It's always about God wanting intimacy with us and closeness with us and relationship with us. This is what the gospel has always been about. It's what the gospel still is about. And God wants to be close to us. And that's why his house is important. You see God inhabits space as crazy as that sounds that the infinite God who cannot be confined chooses to inhabit finite space. And he does that to make places special. I think that speaks to something that we wrestle with because in our culture we want everything every place to be equal. No place has really any more value than any other place does. And that's where we come to the, you hear people will say, well, I I can worship God better or at least as well in nature as I can or in my house as I can in the church. Now, sometimes you can't get to the church. We have people watching on streaming and sometimes you cannot get to the place of God's people are. But even this is joining in with us. And can you worship God anywhere? Of course you can. But what I find is when people say, I can worship God just as well anywhere else as I can in the church, they're not making that place special. They're making this place less special. And saying the church really isn't that big of a deal. We all have special places in our lives. I certainly do. I mean, there's, a, there's an apartment on the campus of George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon, where I confirmed my call, the call of God on my life. That's a special place for me. And there's a golf course on the campus of Asbury University down in Wilmore, Kentucky, where I proposed to Cindy. That's a special place for me. And there's a United Methodist Church in Spencer, Iowa, where we were married. That's a special place for me. There's a hospital in Richland Center, Wisconsin, and Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where our boys were born. That's a special place for me. Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, where the Hoosiers play basketball. That's a special place for me. I mean, we all have these special places, right? They're not the same as other places. They are different. They have significance for our lives. And God says there is something unique and special about the place where we come to worship and the place where we learn about him. It is not like every other place. And that's why it's so important for them to rebuild the temple. And that's why it's so important for us to care about God's house. Because it's when we come together in God's house that we learn how to live for God and how to be close to God. We learn how much God wants us and yearns for us and desires to bless us. When we come together in God's house, we are challenged about the places in our lives where we are not where God wants us to be. When we come, we find encouragement and support and love. We find focus when all around us the rest of the week... Things are out of focus, and we're continually tempted to look other way, other places. And we come together in this place, and other people come together in other places for the purpose of refocusing our attention, of learning and growing and challenging and being accountable. And that's why this space is so important to us. And the call of God on his people through the ages, but we see it in Haggai, is to invest ourselves in God's house. I mean, what he's saying to them is, go get some wood, go get the stones, and start rebuilding this building. It doesn't seem very spiritual. In fact, when you read Haggai, you read it and you think, okay, I don't know what the spiritual thing here is. In some ways, it's not spiritual. It's a very physical activity that he's asking the people to do. He's asking them to put stones on top of stones and lumber and get things together and rebuild that temple. And I think God is asking you and me to care deeply about our church. We may not be rebuilding it, but we are taking care of it maintaining it, caring about it. And that means that we take seriously the financial investment that we make in the church. And I recognize a lot of you sitting here are thinking, I have no finances to financially invest. And I understand that. I've, I've been in your shoes. But I also know that it's when we have little that it is most important to begin thinking about how we can be generous how we invest ourselves in God's kingdom and it may just be a little bit but there is a step there is a there is something that we do and others of us have more and we can invest more the point is when you think about what you are investing and what i am investing in God's kingdom in God's church does it reflect Our heart toward God. It might be our gifts. Are we using our gifts for the church? Are we people who teach or serve or help? Maybe we're people who usher, we greet, we do something with Sunday school or children's ministries or youth group. Or we move tables or we prepare food. I mean, the list is somewhat endless. Endless. But we are using our gifts and our time and our energy and our money, all of that, when we stop and step back and evaluate it, what does it say? How does it reflect our heart toward God? I think it's important. Because what it says about God has a lot to do with our walk with God. And as we saw from the people of Judah, God is saying to them, when you distance yourself from me and building my church... You distance yourself from the source of life and flourishing and blessing and joy and all that I want to do for you. Now, when we talk about this investment, it is it is easy for us to think this is a very self uh, self-serving kind of perspective. And the church through the centuries has often given off the vibe that what we do is very self-serving. We're doing all this stuff so that we can just help each other and grow each other. And it's like we build a, a fence around the church and everything we do is just about us. If that's the message that we have sent to you or we've sent to anybody else, then we need to seek forgiveness. Because it is, what we do for each other is not the end point. It's the sending point. Because ultimately, this is about what God wants, being agents about what God wants to do in his cosmic purposes for the world. I mean, the temple is not just a place where his people come and gather and do their thing. It is the place where they come, gather, do their thing so that they can be a light to the rest of the world. It becomes a place that is so blessed by God and God is so clearly present that the other nations want to come and worship him too. That's really the ultimate point. And that's the ultimate point of our walk with Jesus anyway. Is that we are so close to God that we become clear agents of God's kingdom. And we do that individually and we do that corporately. That's why Jesus, one of the reasons at least, why Jesus is so upset in, in the temple when he walks in and sees the money changers and all the animals there and he gets a whip and drives them out. I mean, he, he is super furious. And the reason is because the temple, he said, Mark says to us that he says to the people, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And by that, he means that the temple has segments to it. And the inner segment is the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest can go there once a year. And the next layer is where the priests go to sacrifice. And the next place is where the court of of men, where the Jewish men can come and worship. And the next court is, is the court of women, and that's where the Jewish women can come. And the outer area, the outer court, is the court of the Gentiles. And if you're a Gentile and you want to come and worship Yahweh, that's as far in as you can go. And where do you think the animals and the tables and the money changers are all set up? In the court of the Gentiles. It's pretty hard to pray to God and worship God when you've got animals running around chickens and goats and sheep. And people are yelling about prices and all this money is changing hands. It's chaos. And those people didn't understand the purpose of the temple. It was not to be a place that excluded Gentiles. It was a place that welcomed them. And the church is not to be a place that excludes others. It's a place to welcome others. And we've created an atmosphere, both in the building and in the spirit, that people say, I want to be there because I think I can find God there. My life can be transformed there. I think the bottom line is Haggai is saying that how we view God's house is a clear reflection of what we think about God. So let me ask you this morning, however little or much you think you offer financially, your gifts, your time, your energy, your talents, whatever the case may be, does what you're investing reflect your heart for God. God wants to be close to us. And that's why we come to this table today. Because at this table, we see clearer than anything else how much God wants to be close to us. And the depths of his love for us. He's just simply asking us to want what he wants and to find him to be faithful and right and true. Father, thank you for all that you have done, this place, your house. We ask that you will open our eyes to see, to hear your call. That we might even more invest ourselves in your purposes, in your house. Through your grace we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup and again, he gave thanks to the father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. I'll just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like that, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and with a desire to be as close to him as he wants to be close to you, then come receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
0: Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight SHUT oh, treasure you found.
1: an opportunity now to give back to God through our tithes and offerings. So I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward.
0: Lord, I come, I confess that we I find, find my rest with us. I can't stand on you Jesus you're my home